this is Riley. And this is June. And this is Take No Script. And this week we watched the 2018 film Under the Silver Lake, which is described as a surrealist neo-noir black comedy mystery. We follow the story of Sam, who investigates the sudden disappearance of his neighbor, which leads to an elusive and scandalous conspiracy that uh, maybe we'll talk about. (laughs) There's a lot here. (laughs) There's a lot here. Me and June are at a loss. There are so many things to talk about, but we're going to start with... the easiest discussion we could possibly have, which is the objectification of women. Yeah. Easy peasy. The male gaze. The male gaze. This movie was very male gazy. This movie was very male gazy. Just, yeah. I feel like no matter who you are, well, maybe not that, any reasonable person with a brain watch <laughs> this movie and recognize that it's made... To either comment on or cater to the male gaze, whichever, depending and on, like, I the... And I think that's a really big question, is which one is it doing, or is it just doing both? I also... <laughs> this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I also want to know who the target audience is for this. Mm. Because I think that would help determine what direction that's going in. So, for me, personally... I feel like the movie was trying to comment on the male gaze and on objectification, but it also pandered to it. And I know that there's this whole idea that, like, by by having these things within the movie, it maybe nudges the audience to try to be self-aware, you know? But I think that's bullshit and a cop-out. (laughs) because stuff like this we're inundated with it we're inundated with the male gaze with sexualization with gratuitous nudity what exactly are you bringing to the table by just doing that you know what i mean yeah it feels so trite i guess to um look at from the other side just to give us i like it (laughs) Um, I wonder how, what, what else would the approach be if not to, um, cause there are other movies out there that don't use the typical female trope, like really good movies that don't lean into that. Mm-hmm. And those in themselves are just examples of movies that don't play into that, but do not push a point. Whereas this one is trying to push a point. So what is a way of doing that without being so over the top about the tropes where it's like, wow, look how ridiculous this is. Like, look at this girl who's always coming out of some audition wearing these like slutty Halloween costumes. You know, what, what is a way to do it that um, isn't just going to like, a completely ridiculous side of the spectrum where people can see it and notice, oh, wow, that that's crazy. So, yeah, I definitely see your point. And I think for me personally, there is a difference between having the suggestion of it and outright creating it, like, with the full-on frontal nudity, right? Or, like, the full-on sex scene. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I recognize that, yeah, like the doggy style and the dog killer and there's that connection and whatnot. But I feel like Western media in general is so over-sexual, right? And it's not necessary. I guess it's, it's difficult to convince me that that is necessary for the quote-unquote art or the quote-unquote message because there are tons of <laughs> films and shows and media in general that address these sorts of points without like without all of this you know what Mm -hmm. i mean i'm thinking specifically of like a couple of korean examples and i think i tend to source a lot of the media that i watch for enjoyment from korea for that reason but yeah that's just my take on this one and like that's also a difference in culture right because I'm pretty sure the men here are probably very different <laughs> from the men in Korea. I think it's like the censorship. I think if maybe Korean men could get away with that, they would. But the censorship doesn't allow it, which I'm not saying is the is like the best thing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in the U.S. there's this culture of that it's it's almost expected at baseline. Yeah, right, like Euphoria is a great example. Yeah, I think. Um, and then of course it's no surprise that the producer turns out to be an extremely problematic person. Euphoria is a tricky one for me. <laughs> yeah, because I I don't agree with that angle of Euphoria. There are a lot of things I like about Euphoria, and that's fine. Like. Yeah, and then there's a lot of things that I wish weren't in it because it makes me feel icky to even watch. Okay, so my thing with this movie, I think if we address, like, who the target audience is, I think is probably a male. I don't think it would be female. I think it's male. And I think that if you're seeing it from that lens, which is probably difficult for us to do, but if we're seeing it from that lens, that maybe maybe that is what they would need in order to think it's ridiculous. Because I just, like, I know that you and I would be able to figure out a point made in any other kind of way. <laughs> this is like... <laughs> not trying to say they're dumb (laughs) but it's kind of like if i mean the idea that they need to be hand fed like here here's some critical thinking and here's another spoon i think that is actually what they need though right and then i think that that's i mean i think (laughs) i think if the male gender does not want to be seen as intellectually inferior then they need to rise up (laughs) <laughs> to rise up. I want to point out that me and June, this podcast, got one male listener. <laughs> we don't know who you are, but... but we do not hate men. We do not hate men. We hate everyone. <laughs> we, do, we do hate everyone. We are equal opportunity haters. <laughs> But there is there there's definitely a lot that's um, yeah okay so I, I I can see it from both ways because I do think that they need spoon feeding mm-hmm. and like we were saying like I also 
don't think that should be anyone else's problem, that they're not there yet. See, that's my thing, is that I can have empathy for them. I can have empathy for the way that men are socialized, the horrifying lack of resources and safe spaces that men have, like, even within themselves to acknowledge these things. And I can also be like, that's not my problem. Like, that's not my burden to bear. That is your burden to bear. Because I already have my own burdens. Like, we already have our own burdens. Everyone has their own burdens. This is yours. However, (laughs) I'm going to continue to play devil's advocate here. (laughs) However, and I also agree with you, but I... This is not a however to, like, make it seem okay. This is just matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Is that women have always been the one to make environments a safe space. Mm -hmm. And that means that men, from the time that they're young, rely on women to make places a a safe space. And if they don't have that in us, I think they don't know how to do that on their own. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Again, this is like a huge generalization. I'm sure there are some well-adjusted men out there. Yeah, Yeah, of course. (laughs) I don't know. I definitely struggle with it where... I think of myself and my own feelings and my own struggles as a person, as a woman. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, should, which sounds sick to even say right now and think about, but should we be doing more to help the men, which sounds so dumb. But then again, that's the same instinct that, we've carried with us, which is like, well, how do we get them to the point where they can do these things on their own? And I mean, I think there's also a difference between doing more and doing it differently, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think a lot of guys, at least this has been my experience with guys, um, like even my high school boyfriend, where like, I was the only person that he could cry to. And (laughs) I like, I mean, I know that my upbringing was a little bit different, and so I was very independent super early on, and I know that that's fairly distinct from the average experience, but I think there's a difference between enabling and encouraging, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that sometimes, whatever, the idea that you can, like, fix them, and you do all the work for them, but what that actually means is that they they are like an immovable statue and you mold yourself around their like where they need the most help around their deficiencies and you just have to withstand that and i think that's distinct from offering support and being there for them and encouraging them to go to therapy encouraging them to journal like all of these different things you know Mm -hmm. and i know it's not that's so easy to say and it's much more nuanced in real life but I don't know I think that as women we're also empathize we're also socialized to have enormous amounts of empathy and enormous amounts of grace for other people that wouldn't give that to us and oftentimes at our own expense oh absolutely absolutely yeah like we're directly affected by giving this other person more empathy than we would even give to ourselves in a Mm -hmm. situation, almost taking away from what is going on with us to give to them. 
in my head, I draw, I, I don't hate men as individuals, but I hate the culture that modern day masculinity has created. That's that a good sense. way of saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I had to think about it because I was like, <laughs> I want to be able to word this in a way that's not dehumanizing men. No, I think, I think that's you know a great I mean? way of saying that. Yeah. I think it's a great way of saying it because I think we both also do have empathy for them in a lot of ways, but then again, when shit hits the fan, it is not our responsibility to baby them mm-hmm. and put ourselves aside, mm-hmm. which is like, I know I personally still struggle with that. <clears throat> like just unconsciously, I don't even realize it sometimes until after something has happened mm-hmm. that I have completely switched the flip and now I'm in caretaker mode mm-hmm. and whatever I had going on doesn't matter. It's on the back burner now and I'm here to take care of you. It it really almost feels like a natural extension of your love. You don't even notice when it bleeds into that. Mm-hmm. And then it just forms resentment, I think, a lot of times. I think that's, yeah. And I think I am aware of that mm-hmm. more often than I'm not. And I, th- I think they're not aware of that. Yeah. So when things come up, um, you know, if there's an issue in a relationship or something, or even with a parent or whatever, or a coworker, you know, it's like they don't realize how much you've babied them. Like, how much of yourself that you've put on hold to make sure that they're okay. Mm -hmm. And, man, like, I feel like they also treat individual situations as individual moments instead of a collective of experiences that you've had with them. You know, and to an extent, it's probably not fair because you probably bring on, like, I know I'll bring on, like, everything, every experience with men in general, with that person, and to an extent, it might be, like, me even being a hindrance to any progress that can be made, but at the same time, I should not have to carry the entire burden Mm -hmm. for everyone. And it's also just the default. Like, it's a default even in a social setting. If if you're the only woman in that setting, or you are, like, the, um, what's a better way of describing this? Like, a host, almost, you know, of, of, this, of this setting, mm-hmm. where people kind of view you as someone who sets the tone. Yeah, you're you're expected to be more socially aware for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, for everyone, for every every situation, every single setting. Yeah, yeah, and that is so exhausting. Like it's so exhausting. How do you not carry that with you? Yeah, but I think it's also so difficult that there's a different kind of exhaustion to refusing to do it because it's not like oh, you expend effort to do it, and then if you just say no, then there's no effort. There's a different and sometimes larger amount of effort that you have to exert into pushing that away. Oh my god, yeah. discomfort, you know? Yeah. Give me one sec, sorry. Oh, you're good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think there's more effort that gets exerted. 
sometimes standing your ground and saying, no, I'm not going to be in charge of everyone else's comfort right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to be holding your hand through all these emotions that you're experiencing that I'm also affected by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, saying no is... I think it's difficult to, like, more difficult sometimes because no one's used to it. And there's, I think the bigger issue here is not that, is not that we should expect men or even women for that matter to start viewing women a certain way or start Mm -hmm. allowing them the freedom to um, just kind of be themselves and let go and not have to cater to everyone else. I think I think that's almost kind of silly to think that that would ever happen realistically. The bigger thing as a society that we can move towards is just normalizing women speaking out against things without mm-hmm. being deemed crazy without being told that she's overreacting um without everyone else making it about themselves that actually i think that ties in really well to the women barking in the movie because i noticed that this only happened when he perceived rejection or anger because they only do that when Sam, from his perspective, sees them as being angry or, you know, perceives rejection. So I think the two times that I remember seeing it, I think there might have been a third, when he's in the women's restroom mm-hmm. and these stereotypical feminist presenting women, they have short colored hair and they're in, they're not in the sexy slinky dresses that other women are in at the party. They're in slacks and shirts with Peter Pan collars and they have glasses on and they're telling him to get out and they start barking and then when a bunch of like conventionally good looking women that he is checking out they're going to this sleazy looking audition start giving him dirty glances and then he sees them barking at him right and I think that's basically how women are viewed when there's any amount of dissent Something like, get out of the women's restroom, why are you here? It's, oh, she's a bitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder what is another way, if he's looking at them like they're bitches, or I'm trying to understand, like, what is a dog, right? A dog is, like, man's best friend. A dog is happy. A dog is comfort. A dog is safety. A dog is, like, always lovable. When a dog does the things that you want it to do. Right. He also seems very confused when that's happening. He doesn't seem angry when they're barking. He seems, like, taken aback. Mm. As if... He didn't expect them to say anything against him? Yeah. But also, like, not... Yeah, like, not expecting that from them because of what he's used to with them. Yeah. I think a lot of guys, especially younger guys, right, are not as used to not getting their way, right? Are not as used to 
women asserting themselves. Like, I know when I was in high school, I think there's so much that women internalize to make to make our own lives easier, right? So the idea of catering to the male fantasy, because that's, we learn that that is how we can be treated best, you know, that we are treated better when we sexualize ourselves, because we're going to be sexualized anyway, Mm -hmm. so we might as well sexualize ourselves and feel like we have power over it at least, and oh, that gets us better treatment, and there are definitely a lot of ways that I bought into that. I had so many friends who they would they would go to parties and they'd make out with their girlfriends in front of their their boyfriends, like their friends who were girls in front of their boyfriends because it turns their boyfriends on. Yeah. Right. And they'd be like, yeah, I just do it because it turns them on. And that was like, that's cool. You know, like that's like, mm-hmm. oh, she's like sexually, ex- like uh, sexually open and... You know, she's not, like, prudish or frigid. Well, the cool she's, girl that's down for anything. Ex- exactly. Yeah. The cool girl who's down for everything. And that just so happens to be everything that caters to the male fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, because what's not okay is a woman who presents way more masculine, who is not interested in men, and who does not, um, who's not pursue relationships with other women for the male fantasy. Right? Mm-hmm. Then men do not like that. They yeah. They like that. My braids melted. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, after like shit talking all these things, I will say that like I feel like a big point of the movie was that at the beginning you see you see Sam and I remember like for him, like to me, he <laughs> is the human embodiment of a cum stained sock. <laughs> <laughs> And by the end of the movie, we see that because he has found kind of this grounded sense of who he is through all this, like, batshit crazy stuff that happens, he actually, through these conspiracy theories, he becomes so focused on that that he stops being so much of a perv, right? Like, he starts seeing women as people. The He's, like, playing his guitar, which... We never we, we never saw before. We never saw him pick up the guitar, but he starts playing it after he gets into these these symbols. And there comes out his bird neighbor, and she's nude again. And he doesn't, you know. I think he looks over, and then he goes back to playing. And then at the very end, he's he's like, wait, you know, those, there are birds there. Let me go. Let me go over there and interact with her as a human being. And then even the way that post-coitus it was showed was so much more human and connected and Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so I think that, yeah, like what you've been saying, that even though we see some of these behaviors and they're so awful and just repulsive to watch and see like at the heart of those people is still someone who wants love and wants acceptance and has all these human (laughs) those people being men (laughs) (laughs) those people (laughs) yes those people sometimes have feelings (laughs) no i agree i think i think that there's a lot my therapist, my old therapist would say this, that there's like a small child 
in each man that just wants to be babied because of all these things that they didn't they just didn't get to cope with and I mean that that ties back to the other thing of not catering to it yeah but you look like you have so much to say go (laughs) no I was gonna say I read something and it basically it it was so much more eloquent than what I'm about to say but it basically talked about men being raised through the series of relationships that they have with women Mm -hmm. they become adults not from not when not as they turn 18 from their experiences before that they are taught how to be human beings and adults through the romantic and sexual relationships that they have with women who teach them how to do things like work a dishwasher use the internet ask people for directions cook for yourself and then they become a full-fledged human but that emotional labor falls onto us Mm -hmm. and so many guys I see they're like well why don't you just teach us and it's like that that's the problem is that you shouldn't need to be taught like weaponizing competence is not an excuse yeah teach yourself you fucking loser do you not have google yeah (laughs) I uh (laughs) (laughs) It's up to us to teach, and then... And then we raise ourselves, too. What about the child that's in all of us? Who yeah. Who's deprived of experiences? But moms also do it. Moms of boys also oh, do of it. of course. And they do They're all the They're the laundry. ones who enable it. Yeah. Yeah, they enable it right from the beginning, and that's, that's when it... It's that where I always am like, okay, I see both sides. We're like... It's like they're not given a chance when they're young to figure things out on their own because moms are enabling everything. Whereas on the flip side, I feel like oftentimes moms are doing the reverse for their their daughters. They are Mm. like, oh, you have to know how to do the dishes. You have to know how to do, you need to know how to do your laundry. You need to know how to do this. These are things that women do and need to know how to do. And... But I feel like it's like, why is the responsibility on the mom? Like, what about the dad? Where's the dad? Like, what is he, well, what the dad, dad is he doing? The dad has also <laughs> experienced the same exact thing. Right. The dad is basically like, he's another baby for this mom. Right. She has three babies. She has her daughter, her son, and her husband. Three babies. And her daughter's the only of. one that's going to be okay. <laughs> right. And so she's like, my dad, my husband is a baby. My son is a baby, and I need to teach my daughter how to survive for herself because no one's going to help her. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's, like, I, I follow that logic, and, like, I'm not saying it. It's really, it's none of these people's individual fault, right? No, like we are so. all, we all are little cogs within this, like, giant culture, society, organism yeah. thing. And I think that accountability is also important yeah which is not me saying oh like i've i'm an amazing person and like i've never been problematic in these ways like i too am also a cog with all my little like cog things (laughs) 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 but i think that the moment that you decide to say oh it's all society's fault it's all socialization fault you take away the personal agency that you do have to become different yes yeah um like in what ways can you say no 
right? Without tearing up um, fabric that exists that people do rely on. It's like you're not going to suddenly throw some kid in the water and expect them to be able to swim. You know, there's definitely, and that's what I think we were saying before, right? Which is not how do you do this for them, but like how do you do this in a way that makes something better? Like how do you like improve this? Which is you can't just let go of the bike, you know, like immediately and be like, okay, go ride it Mm -hmm. when you've been hanging on to it the whole time. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you. I think, so obviously for every single person, their threshold is going to be different. But I think for me, my threshold is if I, we've talked about it and I sent you resources and you acknowledge that this is a problem, but you aren't doing anything, right? Then to me, that reads as somebody who doesn't, who wants someone else to do it, to do all the work for them. Oh my not, God. not just yeah. men, just people in general. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And at that point, I feel like if a person doesn't want to change themselves, you can't help them right? A person who wants to change and is struggling, we've all been there. You know, humans need support. We all need support. Which, by the way, I related so much to the friend who I hated at first because he was like the drone peeping Tom, but his way of of coping is intellectualizing everything, and that's definitely what I do. But what was I going to say again? Oh yeah, like as humans, (laughs) we need support from other people, And I think that's different than being like, you carry me here and carry me there and do everything for me and wipe my ass. Yeah. Um, And, and like you're saying, like, even if you point them in the right direction, then not taking it up from there, (sighs) which again, but it's like, at what point do they have personal accountability? Because you could go back to childhood traumas for all of us, you know, like for almost any given person you could say, here is a trauma, and that impacts that impacts them 40 years later, like a childhood yeah. trauma that they had no control over. Now they're 45 years old, and they're blaming their parents. It's like, well, at what point do you have to take agency and say it sucks, and life is not fucking fair, and I'm never going to be perfect, and this is really fucking awful, and like no one else is going to change it but me. Yeah, I have so many thoughts about that. I hope I'm not coming off as, like, super judgmental. I'm not... This isn't, like, a personal attack or a personal judgment, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I don't... Okay. I mean, I can't speak for them. They're <laughs> fine. <laughs> I, th- I think they're fine. <laughs> they haven't been listening at all. No one's listening. <laughs> they're thriving. <laughs> We're taking care of them. They're thriving. They're going to live so long. <laughs> I feel that, like, so often where it's like, okay, I understand that this stems from XYZ childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And then the next time, it still stems from XYZ childhood trauma. Yeah. And then the next time, yeah, it still stems from your trauma. <laughs> At what point do you just grow the fuck up and now you're a full-grown fucking adult who's blaming everything on your childhood trauma and is just 
living in that pool of childhood trauma when you can just decide that you're going to get out of it get out the fucking pool (laughs) Uh, and this is like this is probably mean because i understand people like all people have their trauma that is really embedded deep that will Mm -hmm. affect you for the rest of your fucking life and then there's shit that is just now you're aware of it now what do you do about it because this is your turn now now you do have control Mm -hmm. right you didn't have control when you were a kid Mm -hmm. now you have control are you going to just revert back to being a baby in the way that you deal with things because that's easy yeah it's just the thing is that like no these traumas never go away but the way that you can approach them is different and so i'm gonna give a i'm gonna give a personal example with a disclosure that like i dislike when people like oh i did this so you can too Mm -hmm. because that's not how life works but i feel like this example is is relevant so when you know how babies form attachment styles super early mm-hmm. on right and a lot of it is if you're comforted by a parental figure when you're crying so my parents did not do that um then there's like these family videos of like me like sobbing i'm like crying bawling and my dad has a video camera and he's just watching me laughing and my mom really she disliked me because i was like I, I cried a lot, so in her mind, I I was a like fussy, unhappy, just like inherently bad baby because I cried a lot. And obviously, I can't remember these things, but I expect that those are probably why I have a really um, disorganized attachment style. Like I'm hot and cold, and hot and cold. And that's been something that's been difficult in a lot of relationships with boundaries and not clinging or pushing away. And that still continues to be difficult, but it's not ever anyone else's like problem, if that makes sense. Like, like I think before I used to feel like if I'm feeling super distressed and hurt, It is like this other person's obligation if they love me to comfort me and it took a lot of therapy for me to realize that like no that's not their problem and they just because that's not something that is reasonable to ask for them not something they're willing to give does not mean that they don't love you and does not mean that they're a villain in your story you know what I mean and I think recognizing that and I mean Obviously, I'm still struggling with it, but, like, the idea that I I might be feeling like I'm going to die because I'm so upset and hurt and in distress, and that's not anyone else's problem kind of a thing, is what I imagine is what it's like to be an adult, maybe. (laughs) To be an adult? (laughs) Yeah, to, like... To take personal accountability for it, if that makes sense. I mean, I agree with that to an extent. Taking, I think, I know, I agree with it fully, taking personal accountability. But I also think that on top of that, if you're entering into any kind of partnership with someone, 
I I don't like the way that therapists describe um, what is the what's the healthy attachment style? <laughs> Secure. Secure. Yeah. Fuck that one. What is that? <laughs> I don't I like. I think it's the way like only twenty percent of people or something. Like it's like a small percentage of people. And I don't like believe that. them. I don't believe them. <laughs> You're like because fuck that. Fuck them. I know how many people why they're fucking therapists. That's true. <laughs> Which must be a greater percentage of people <laughs> in secure relationships. <laughs> no, I I have an issue with the way that secure attachment styles describe because it feels kind of sterile to me. Mm. I I can understand that, yeah. Yeah, like, I I think that if you're in a relationship with someone, yes, you should have full accountability mm-hmm. of your own shit. Mm-hmm. But then also, you do, you have accepted a partner into your life, and someone mm-hmm. has given you a partner, like, they are agreeing to be your partner. And I think mm-hmm. in that, there is a greater thing formed where you can expect support from someone, not mm-hmm. babying. Mm-hmm. Not let me hold your hands through, you know, all your emotions and make sure that you're okay all the time. But I think it does come with some level of support that maybe someone who doesn't have that gets. And For that sure. is an advantage, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think that you can ask for more support and there are people who are willing to give more support. I think it... I think it changes when it becomes a drain or when you are telling the other person you are forced to do this, you are obligated to do this, and I don't care how tired, how um, burnt out, how whatever you are, because I want this. I think at that point, that's when, you know, when you start to to suck their... <laughs> what? <laughs> When, when you start to become a negative, a negative presence in their life, you know, it's not that they want to comfort you. They want to add that additional support because they know that you have a certain background or a certain trauma, but that they feel like they have to, they're scared of what happens if they don't, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that's when that's crossing the line. The thing about the secure attachment style is that I feel like it doesn't have room to allow someone to break down at some point if that is really yeah well i'm curious in what way there may come a time where something is so heavy on you as a person that you break down and really do just need the other person just lift you up entirely and Mm -hmm. that is a real thing like there are so many yeah different situations in life and if that is what happens even if that creates a burden for the person that person's accepting Mm -hmm. a burden because Mm -hmm. they're your partner and they're choosing to do that um or maybe they don't choose in that moment to do that for that situation but in general they they want the best for you Mm -hmm. i don't know that doesn't the way that i have always understood secure attachment style doesn't feel like there's room for something like that Mm interesting i i feel like there is and i mean (laughs) i'm not a therapist but i feel like if you have this relationship with somebody 
and you say, there's this thing that happened. I feel, I feel so, I feel these emotions so intensely and I just, I need support. And you make it click. It's not their obligation. It's not their fault. They aren't responsible for your feelings and you ask them for support. And even if you expect that, right, because of this close partnership, I don't think that's unhealthy. Like, I think that's, that's kind of part of the benefit of being in a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you give and take. And I think that, I mean, I don't think that you should be like measuring it all out, you know, everything's equal. But I think if both people feel like they're getting emotional, the emotional support that they want out of it, then that, that's good. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that made sense. I think so. I don't like it, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree with you, like, reading, like, just, like, reading, like, the blurbs and stuff for Secure Attachment Style. It's difficult to envision... It, It feels very idealized. There's not, like, oh, and here's what happens when you're in crisis and you have a Secure Attachment Style. Like, this is what that looks like. Right, and I think that's my issue with it, is that I don't know where... And I've never read anything that really helped describe that, like, where the line is. Mm-hmm. Because it's a spectrum, right? Yeah. No, no one, you fall somewhere in, some people are more avoidant or more anxious or whatever, more secure in their attachment style. But where is that line? Like, at what point are you kind of bordering secure and that's okay, but maybe it doesn't fit in with this prescribed definition of what a secure attachment style is. And mm-hmm. I think it, it's probably just my issue with, I know words are important, <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably just my issue with overarching words being used like that for very nuanced things. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I think ultimately, like knowing my attachment style never did anything for me. I didn't, I didn't. Other than, like, reading an article and being like, ooh, ah, that's... <laughs> that's me. Yeah. Childhood didn't, trauma. <laughs> didn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I, I, that's silly. Like, maybe it has, and I'm not aware of it. But at face value, like, I can't say, oh, yeah, being aware of my attachment style. I don't think I'm going to register if I've moved one way or another down the spectrum, you know? I I don't use it I think when I first found out about what like attachment styles were when I was like 16 or 17 it was helpful for me because I didn't know that there was like a different way of being in relationships that wasn't this emotional roller coaster Mm -hmm. um and so then that knowledge helped me intellectualize and emotionally distance myself from the issue, right? It helped me cope. And so then when I'm, like, running super hot, I can, I guess for me personally, it helps to have a label to something because then I can think that's not me, that's this, if that makes sense. This isn't who I am. This isn't what I need. This is... XYZ. This is the label that I can put on it to separate it from me so it doesn't feel so intense. And that's how I de-escalate myself. And I mean, that's just me. So I feel like mm-hmm. if it doesn't work for you, then whatever. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, more power to you, girl. <laughs> I don't know. I, 
I what what de-escalates me? Um, thinking about uh, dying mm. de-escalates me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it a good one. I like it that. helps. It helps me put things into perspective. Oftentimes, I do that too, and it's really funny because I I had this really funny roommate in university. He was like one of the guys that I lived in this house with. And I would be stressing about an exam or an assignment or whatever. And he'd, he'd walk into the kitchen barefoot and he asked me what I was doing and I'd be a nervous wreck. And he'd be like, well, just think about it like this. The sun's going to explode someday and everything you did will be totally useless. So whatever. And then he'd get his takeout from the fridge and he'd walk back to his bedroom. And that's such a comforting idea that it's like, none of it really matters in the end. So do whatever the fuck you want. None of it matters, but some things do matter. And I think that that is what I keep in mind that maybe helps me de-escalate, which is like, if I were to die right now, mm-hmm. what is it that I want to know that I made sure I held true that actually mattered? Mm-hmm. And if it's not this thing, then why am I behaving this way? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Like staying true to yourself. I like that. Like, I hate, I hate the idea of thinking that everything is meaningless because I think in order, at least for me, in order for me to have any kind of, it's like an acting thing, right, too? Like, if everything matters, then nothing matters. But yeah. something has to matter for there to be Otherwise, meaning. why are you alive? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like, if I give a fuck about everything, then it's all meaningless. If I give a fuck about nothing, it's all meaningless. Like, there are some things to give a fuck about and what mm-hmm. are those for whatever reason if, if I think about dying <laughs> it'll help me kind of think about that and just go back to the basic framework of what do I give a fuck about and what mm-hmm. yeah like what makes me up that I hold as a value and if mm-hmm. it's not this then maybe I could just let it go I feel like you have a stronger sense of identity, so maybe you don't <laughs> think of it this way. No, no, no. It, it does tie in, I promise. So for me, what was always helpful is that I was like, nothing matters. Objectively, nothing matters. Because for me, it's so hard, or it used to be a lot like really difficult to separate myself from what other people put value in. You know, I kind of, I didn't have things that I held important outside of, you know, what I just sourced from other people. And that didn't make me happy. And so saying, okay, objectively, nothing matters. Obliterating it all, like, wiped flat. And then choosing what matters. And even if that's different than everyone else, that's fine because nothing fucking matters anyway. You can't say that mine matters less because I've decided that nothing matters at all except for what I choose. Yeah. That sounds healthy. (laughs) (laughs) We teach really good coping mechanisms. (laughs) There are so many to choose from. Pick whichever you like. (laughs) If you need to think about dying to... He would also do this thing where he'd be like, you can always kill yourself tomorrow. And that actually helps me. That helps me a lot, honestly. (laughs) I used to think about that more and not in a suicidal ideation thing at all. Yeah. But I used to think about that um, years ago. It's definitely not a way that I cope now. 
<laughs> years back if you like this goes wrong you could just go kill yourself <laughs> that's exactly it right it's like well if the worst happens then I can always just kill myself right so... like you're not stuck I'm not Exa- stuck I Exa- have the option <laughs> yeah I always have at least two choices available to me right yeah and I don't and I've never wanted to. Like, nothing has ever been like, oh, not that I've never wanted to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, really? That's actually yeah. unexpected. <laughs> no, not that I've never wanted to kill myself. But as far as using it as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. it helps give you, or helps give me, like, control over something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some fake, yeah. Some fake control. <laughs> yeah, bro. <Yeah. laughs> Not mean. <laughs> yeah, nothing ever happened where I'd be like, oh yeah, that's a legitimate thing. It, it would it would kind of end at like, yes, this is something that gets me to a point of doing the next thing. Mm-hmm. Which I think is good. Therapists might disagree. <laughs> I mean, therapists might disagree, but if it got me here... That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. This is a great place to be. (laughs) I'm happy. I don't know. (laughs) I'm a very healthy, well-rounded individual. No matter how it comes across, I can assure you of this. Are you being sarcastic? I can't tell. I'm being sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) No, not that I like don't feel that way, but I don't expect other... It's okay. It's like, I feel that way about myself, and I don't expect other people to feel that way, and that's totally fine. But you feel that way about yourself, which I think is... Kind of? The only thing that matters. Probably. Because someone else thinking about that about you actually means it doesn't change anything about your situation. Because they're all part of my simulation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But if you think that about yourself, that is, like, the ultimate... Because I actually do, like, not sarcastically, I actually do, like, I'm pretty happy. I don't... It's not like I don't experience depression, but this is just my brain. (laughs) But in general, pretty happy with my life. It doesn't mean fucked up shit doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that, you know, I don't wake up some days feeling absolutely miserable and, like, I could just sink into a hole because that's also just part of my overall happy feeling. Yeah. (laughs) Your overall happy feeling. You're like, come, come, come be happy with me. We experience crippling depression on a regular. (laughs) Yeah, it keeps us in check. (laughs) can't be too happy I'm a creative without this my creativity would suffer (laughs) I actually (laughs) I do think that like I don't know like very happy happy I don't know what that does for creativity I don't know what it does but those people both terrify me and I'm incredibly jealous of them (sighs) I'm not, I'm not jealous just because, like, I feel like that a lot of the time we're maybe not happy, happy. Like, my happy is different from, like, someone else's happy, obviously. But, sure. you know, I do feel happy 
when I do experience, yeah, like some sort of like crippling anxiety or depression. <laughs> Which is relevant because Sam definitely has some anxiety, depression going yeah, on. Yeah, right. You know, when We're my brain to a is man. just, when my brain is just <laughs> spiraling, um, I don't know that I always see it as a problem. Mm. Which makes me think that like maybe I'm okay. Which could be a problem, but the fact that I think it's just part of my existence and Mm -hmm. that I can be okay with that and not think like, oh, this is something I need to fix. I think that's healthy. That sounds exceptionally healthy. I think it's stupid to think that, I don't know, I I like the excitement too. I don't know when I'm going to wake up and feel like I want to die. You know what I mean? Just... What a surprise. Riding the waves of life, the spice of life. <laughs> yeah, you just never know. You're in the shower, you just start crying. You didn't see that happening. But... It's like, whoa, it's so exciting. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think actually, yeah, you've got like a really, that's very true. That there is, there's definitely a, what's the word? I don't know what I'm trying to say. You got a point there, <laughs> Riley. <laughs> you got a point there, Riley. I like. I don't know if I always like. I can't. It's. I feel. I find it's always difficult to speak about any time before the somewhat present because you're looking at it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it, it doesn't do it justice to ever really talk about that too much. But I feel like I enjoy at least now being able to experience a greater depth of emotion Mm. even if it's not always great the fact that I get to like reminds me that I'm alive in a way Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's scary I think being depressed because a lot of times it feels like oh my god this is it this is this is my forever now like this is my state of being I will always feel this weight mm-hmm. and then you come out of it <laughs> and it's like yay yeah. we did again <laughs> every time it's like yeah I've overcome whatever that was I don't know how I got there but I overcame it and that's great <laughs> and there's something so I don't know like yeah there's something kind of beautiful and just like really alive in that yeah and like the fact that like we keep going you know and it is not constant like you keep going you keep changing and every time that you you know I come depressed or something it's different than the last you know there's like similar things but it's different and I'm, I'm thinking I'm just like at the point where I'm like accepting like this is a thing mm-hmm. it is okay yeah as long as it doesn't become dangerous there's definitely a time when you need help for sure <laughs> And and if you don't need that, like, I'm just at the point where for myself, where it's like, okay, this is just a part of it. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of helped me, I feel like, to just accept that it's a part of me instead of rejecting it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I think that that's just, like, yeah, I think that sounds really healthy. Like, that is where I want to be. Not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) But, so, like... There was a time when I definitely needed help. And so I went on lots of different antidepressants at like progressively higher doses. 
And after being on them for a little bit, I realized that I could not feel things. I did not like things. I couldn't cry. I couldn't love. I was just there. And because of my history, my <laughs> my psych was really hesitant about me going off my antidepressant. <laughs> so then I did it without telling her. <laughs> I, I just weaned off by myself and she mm, no one should follow this example she's like no i'm not taking it because i don't want to tell her because then she'll be afraid that i'm not doing well but i'm doing great so that's, Am I that's great no but that's great yeah i just like i don't want her to be worried and so th- yeah. this is this is a me problem this is not healthy um, this is me taking responsibility for her emotions that I shouldn't. But, like, I'm also scared to tell her because then she's going to be like, what the fuck? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I, like, the past, like, year I've been weaning off real slowly and I'm okay now. There were, there were a couple of rocky bumps, but we survived. Um, and now I'm like, oh, I can cry and I can feel things and, like, I get angry and I get sad and I'm happy and, I agree with you. It's, there's a point at which intervention is good. Oh, yeah. And and also (laughs) negative, like, not negative emotions, like, emotions in general are not bad. Even ones that are uncomfortable, they just are. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I do want to say, it's not like I've never needed help. I definitely (laughs) have. (laughs) And it's not to say that I won't in the future. Like, this is just where I am now. Like, literally Mm -hmm. just right now. This could change tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow we're going to (laughs) release. This is, yeah, this is where I'm right now, and you know, where I feel like I've been for a little bit and I am just right now at the place where I don't really want a therapist telling me that everything that I'm feeling is something that needs to be fixed or like treating everything like it's a problem or Mm -hmm. if I've, if, you know, I didn't have the right emotion or the right response to something like that's okay. I think, I don't think I need to, I am a very analytical person like, I do really like digging deep into, you know, how I feel and things that happen. I really like taking something apart and treating it like a puzzle almost. But at the same time, I think I can do that and not feel like I need to find a solution. Because mm-hmm. then I'm creating a problem maybe where there isn't one. Yeah. You don't need a solution to a non-problem. Mm-hmm. Right, Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That's also why I'm not in therapy. (laughs) Because, okay, and, I mean, we touched on this a little bit, but I remember after I had been in therapy for a little bit, I I got this feeling, this very intense feeling that I'm not saying is (laughs) necessarily true, but I feel like it's like brainwashing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right because it's like <laughs> it's it's like it's like 
Pavlovian almost, right? Where it's like, oh, you experience this and do this. But now what we're going to do is we're going to train you that when you experience this, you do that. And that can be great. And I've used that and it's been helpful for some things. Yeah. And then I think for other things, I don't think that's necessary. And like, I don't want to change that. And I want that decision to be respected if it's not impacting my life negatively, which like, shouldn't I be the one who like literally the idea of these things is that when it negatively impacts your life, you know, if it's not negatively impacting my life, then I don't want someone else telling me that it is a problem, that I do have to change it. I don't Mm -hmm. want to change it, you know, and I think that's, that's difficult to, and maybe the problem is me, but like, it's difficult for that point, I think, to be made in a way where you don't set off like alarm bells, you know? I don't think it's terrible if some things impact your life. That's true. To, to an extent, like, uh, I still don't know exactly what it is, whether I have tics or Tourette's or what someone would call it, but I had it for as long as I can remember and was always embarrassed by it. And then eventually when I started going to therapy, started talking to my therapist about it. And it had definitely, it's definitely something that has gotten in the way. And I think a big part of that was my embarrassment about it. Mm. And instead of always treating it like it's something I need to fix, Mm -hmm. I think for me getting to a point where I can accept it and just be aware of it Mm -hmm. and listen to it as even though it's negatively impacting me, trying to see it as communication from my body like my body telling me something wait that's so beautiful (laughs) I love that (laughs) but I I feel like that's helped a little bit like sometimes if I'm you know if I find myself doing some sort of tick I'll I'll just think about the tick you know and and Mm -hmm. instead of thinking about it so negatively I do think it could be my body's just being like hey Slow down, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I should try that with my migraines because when I tell you that I wish that I would get hit by a truck so that my soul could be put into a different person's body so that I wouldn't have these migraines. And like, maybe if I see it as like my body telling me that you're dehydrated or you haven't slept enough or something, I might hate them a little bit less. And that will probably (laughs) honestly lower my stress and decrease the frequency. Migraines are a killer though. Cause I, did I tell you I, I used to get bad migraines all the time. You haven't. Oh my God. Forever. I always, I went to the doctors for it. Like it was just always had really bad migraines. Then when um, I was hit by that car, I got really bad migraines also, accompanied with like neck pain and everything. Oh my like, God. It was worse. And then once I started recovering from the accident, mm-hmm. never didn't get migraines anymore. Really? <laughs> so go get hit by a car. A truck. <laughs> yeah. No. Actually, I, I'm on to something here. <laughs> I'm not saying I never get, you know, like a bad headache or a migraine. It happens, but I think it happens like a very normal degree now. Mm-hmm. Before it was all the time. And then now I feel like I'm just a normal person who sometimes gets a little bit of a migraine. I take, I pop some pills and I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
you <laughs> you should like submit this to like a medical journal and be like may i suggest people getting hit by cars as a migraine treatment <laughs> i really don't understand it it doesn't make any sense that yeah that's crazy somehow after that it just stopped <laughs> I mean, I guess you hear stories about people getting in car accidents or hit by trucks and they have, like, migraines and pain for the rest of their life. So, I guess it makes sense that the reverse could happen, too. I like- hey, might I just knock my brain into place just the right way? <laughs> <laughs> just what I needed. I mean, I have now new pains in other places. <laughs> So would not recommend for that. And also you could die, so. (laughs) But, yeah, it's just like a weird, just a a weird thing that happened after the accident. I don't actually think you've ever told me that you got hit by a car. No? No. I just kind of rolled with it earlier because I didn't really know what to say. But now I'm saying, yeah. I feel like I must must have brought up. I mean, it's not like a... Like a conversation started, <laughs> or it doesn't really because there's not much about it other than like like that. Like there might be something that's relevant, so it might come up, you know. Like what? Like were you like? Did you get like flo- like thrown off a highway or like? I, so I was crossing the street uh-huh. in the crosswalk, you know, where you're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't jaywalking, and this is just. You know, early afternoon, it's light out, and this car turned and then just right into me, and I blacked out, and then woke up to the car's tire, like, right in my face, (gasps) and then my body just went into complete fight mode, (gasps) and even though my leg was in a lot of pain, I I jumped up immediately and ran to the sidewalk and just threw my body down and just started, like, panting. Like, I couldn't breathe then. And there were so many people around. I was in, like, the city, and all these people run over to see if I'm okay, and I'm just like, I don't know, you know? Right before it happened, really fucking surreal, crossing the street, the guy is who's driving, me and him make eye contact, uh-huh. And it's like, if for like a second, as if I knew, I was like, oh, he's going to hit me right now. <laughs> <laughs> and like, as if he also knew. And then there just wasn't enough time. Mm-hmm. It all happened so fast. And then, yeah, then I wake up and... Did you go to the hospital? Like Yeah, yeah. What? Okay. Yeah, the ambulance came. They took me to the hospital. Or, but yeah, so I went to the hospital. They gave me some pain meds. They did (laughs) for someone who just got hit by a car they really didn't care much about (laughs) me saying like hey this actually hurts or like can you check this uh my head and neck really hurt and they're like no we don't need to do an x-ray of that and i have a huge contusion on a huge bruise on my Mm -hmm. left upper thigh where it Mm -hmm. hit like basically my entire thigh it was just like black (laughs) Oh my god. And I had also, because it hit me from the left side, and I, I must have also like landed kind of on my elbow. So mm-hmm. my elbow was just swollen, like blood pulling in my elbow, and it was black. 
It was also really fucked up. This is just a fucked up thing in general, but the the cops came to the hospital to take my account and they had drawn a picture of what happened and I'm like still in shock. My body is still in shock. Yeah. Yeah. You got hit by a car. Yeah, I'm like, I can't like do this right now and they're like, We need you to just sign off on this. What? Yeah, they have like all this stuff written and this picture of their drawing when they weren't even there. And their drawing is not accurate. And I pointed it out and they're like, no, it's okay. Like, it doesn't have to be all that accurate. So I sign off. Well, then um, why do you have to sign off on it if it doesn't have to be accurate? Yeah, it is so dumb. So anyway, the, the police report for it was not right. It made it seem like we weren't in the crosswalk and like they hit us in a different like, they even had, like, the direction that the car was going in wrong. Just, you know, like, if these things don't matter, like, they matter. It does matter. Yeah. It's also not that hard to get right. It's not, like, a super overly complicated scenario. No, it's pretty basic. Yeah. The <laughs> guy was just supposed to look. Didn't. Yeah. Was driving. Didn't didn't notice. Yeah. And. Oh my God. When I left, my hair, they had checked me out, and my hair is just falling out, and giant clumps like never before because i just yeah i'm like touching my hair and just huge clumps of hair just very easily just coming out of my head then i go up to either a doctor or a nurse there was like hey can you guys just check my head because my my hair is just falling out of my head <laughs> and she's like no it's probably just because you didn't have breakfast you're fine and that was that and then i yeah, I did, like, physical therapy for a while. So my state is a no-fault state. Mm-hmm. So because nothing – because I didn't lose, like, a limb or something. They don't have to pay for anything? They didn't pay for anything. Um, they didn't even get a ticket. They didn't even have to pay, like, $20 for a driving ticket. Like, they didn't even get ticketed. It didn't go on their record or anything? Nothing. There's nothing. Nothing on this person. This person's scotch-free. Hit two people with a car. Scotch-free. And it, it's crazy. <laughs> it's kind of crazy if that can happen. Yeah, like they wanted me to pay for all my physical therapy afterwards. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm not paying for this. And for whatever reason, the place that I was going to, like I just said that to them and they never reached out to me again. They just kind of ate it. They ate the bill. Maybe it's... I was really fortunate that they just let it go. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely did not, had not heard that story before. That is insane. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and never had had except for that. <laughs> except for the ones that I had, you know, right after it while I was still recovering, which were pretty bad. Well, that's good, at least. There is something. <laughs> <laughs> My leg hurts sometimes when I walk up. <laughs> This is why I don't walk in crosswalks because I don't trust people. (laughs) I only walk outside of crosswalks and when the light is red for me. (laughs) We give horrible advice. This is not advice, by the way. This is never advice. (laughs) But that is actually what I do. I used to, um, I think I've told you this before. So I used to live in a neighborhood that was across the highway from a Walmart 
and there was technically a crosswalk to get across it because it wasn't like a huge huge highway it was just one of those like town highway sorts of things anyway so I would I would see the crosswalk and then I would I would walk like 50 yards to the right or left of it and then I would cross <laughs> because I was like ain't no way am I gonna be here when everyone's turning and shit and they can't see me no, I'm going to go down here where it's a straight shot all the way across and I'm going to I'm going to sprint across the moment I get there. I think I need to be more of a rebel like you when it comes to the street because the only other time that um, I remember in like my adult years that I've almost gotten hit by a car mm-hmm. was me walking in the crosswalk. <laughs> it's a crosswalks. And actually, that guy was just a fucking idiot i was i was walking the crosswalk from uh-huh. one side uh, like one side of the street to the other because that's how mm-hmm. crosswalks <laughs> and i'm going and this guy is making a turn and almost hits me and then he's trying to blame it on me he's like because i'm almost at the end of the other side he's like well why would you jump in the middle of the road and turn and i was like <laughs> he's like i've been here you hopped out <laughs> I didn't start it this side. I'm ending it this side. I'm almost at the end. I've been here when you return. I I think that he still thought that I was lying, and that like I just like threw my body into something crosswalk when I saw her. This woman wanted to die, and she was trying yeah. to make it my problem. <laughs> he gave me a cupcake afterwards. Fuck him and his cupcake. It was not, like, a pleasant experience even getting the cupcake because he worked at, like, a cupcake place nearby. And he was – so he was bringing stuff back from work. And he's like, all right, do you want, like, a cupcake or something? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take a fucking cupcake. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that, though. And I was on my way over to Vic's place, so I just brought the – I got a chocolate <laughs> cupcake for Vic. Like, you don't know what I have to do for this cupcake. <laughs> But also, I want to make sure we talk about conspiracy theories, because I love me some conspiracy theories. Oh, I do too. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) So I thought what was interesting is that most people think that conspiracy theories are like, oh, they're just like for crazy people who are on drugs or... Uh things right (laughs) i don't know if they're not but go on (laughs) but i thought it was interesting because it's almost like through this conspiracy theory sam finds a purpose for his life he finds like a direction and i was thinking about how there are people who achieve like really amazing things like they achieve the life they want for themselves And the thought process behind getting them there is, like, full-on, like, wacky and outer space sort of a thing. But, like, it gives them a sense of purpose that gets them to their end point. And that, that, like, when you get, when that is what happens, can you really write it off as just crazy? Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Big question. Are religions a conspiracy? Can we classify that as? I personally feel like religions fall under that. (laughs) Right. And this is also, obviously, there are many other 
not so great things. But there are um, decent people out there that do follow a religion and it benefits them. Mm-hmm. And, like, I would never deny that. I know that's a thing. As much as I reject religion, mm-hmm. I can't deny there are people that benefit from it and, like, live a healthy life and it gives their lives structure and meaning and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair and I don't think that's... I don't think that's not crazy. Yeah. Because you are still <laughs> making shit up. <laughs> but also, who cares, right? If yeah. it's helping you. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Also, we're making stuff up constantly, so. We know. are. Like, all of our memories are technically made up, so. They if are. Everything's made up. Yeah, everything's made up, then, like. Everything really is made up. but it is it's it's, it really is yeah even even your own memories are made up it's just fabricated based on everything you've experienced since then and who you are now in this particular moment i this reminds me of something interesting it's like an experience that i had the other day and so i was at my waxer at the waxer studio and my waxer i've had her a couple of times and she's super sweet and you know she's one of those like she's one of those like super strong women who are like nothing is permanent so like you know you can you can survive anything because tomorrow like the situation that you're in now is not going to be forever and you can make your way to whatever you want and so she's one of those like really strong people and we were talking small talk and talking about daylight savings time and she says it's it's crazy because that's how you know that the government can control time (laughs) and i just i kind of paused for a moment and i was like yeah and then and then i was like and you know that they can like control the weather and everything too and she was like exactly (laughs) and so i was like damn like I feel like I wish I was more like these people like I believe stuff like this because maybe the world would look so much different so much brighter if I believed that the government could control time I have questions (laughs) (laughs) because you're saying like these people who believe in like these things and they don't think that they're believing in anything that isn't just true I what know, are the and... things that you believe in that are just not true? <laughs> that you also are not aware of or not true? You'll never we, know. We, exactly. That's true. That's true. Which, so I have, I have tried to become like a true conspiracy theorist. And I, I just can't. I've also tried this with religion, right? That I, I just, I had this idea of like something that would ground me, something that would impart meaning instead of me having to try to find meaning for myself and I just couldn't do it like I couldn't truly believe if that makes sense and that was such a bummer that's such a bummer it was a bummer (laughs) I am a skeptic (laughs) (laughs) I have a healthy dose of skepticism so you don't believe that the government controls time I'm a skeptic and that I will question just about everything. <laughs> You're like, well, do we know that the government can't control? <laughs> right. It's like we don't actually know anything. Yeah. So I think that's where my skepticism comes from is that I'm not going to tell you aliens don't exist because mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
I also feel like history is made up of so many things that were considered conspiracies at the time, only for them to actually turn out to be true. And maybe that was the one conspiracy in a thousand that turned out to be true. But it's still, it's still trying to be true. I don't know. Maybe we're not that smart. (laughs) (laughs) We're just coming up with conspiracies and it's actually just fact. (laughs) That's all we know is stuff that actually exists. (laughs) But I think there's like a certain comfort in conspiracies, right? That, I mean, that you see in religion too, right? Yeah. It gives meaning and connection to things that Mm-hmm. otherwise it's a there's built-in meaning and connection you don't have to forge it yourself it exists there already i mean i think there's definitely like unhealthy and very negative stuff that can be attached to certain conspiracies oh for sure for sure yeah so it's interesting because my dad is a tinfoil conspiracy theorist like um our windows were coated in aluminum foil so you couldn't see in kind of a that. yeah yeah i have a strange like emotional response to conspiracy theories and I think like interacting with people that are not my dad who like to talk about conspiracy theories has really helped me see like the healthy side of just enjoying talking about them and like speculating Mm -hmm. and stuff not like my dad where you like (laughs) you think that the government does control time and like whatever they're poisoning us all and like they're controlling our minds with the fluoride in our water and stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean i think that and that's what this guy got right sam like he got i mean kind of a community before like the owl lady killed him which what was the owl lady supposed to be whoa wait i just had a maybe epiphany Do you think that, like, the owl lady came to him slash he killed himself because he realized, like, he was involved in all this, like, Hollywood type stuff and he found out that everything is meaningless and that's why he died and then that's where Sam was, right? Like, he's, like, breaking down at the end on his bed and he, like, has the gun and that's when the owl lady comes from him for him because, like, it represents, like, this this end of the way that he can see his life and he leaves that and he like forges a new connection and he forges ahead in a different way and that's why the owl lady doesn't follow him i mean yeah that that's a whole conspiracy itself right people do believe that where you know people in real life they're like oh this person got too deep and you'll see on the news mm-hmm. like so and so committed suicide and then there's a whole conspiracy about elites actually killing them you know i mean i kind of believe that i'm not saying i don't believe it (laughs) (laughs) but but i guess i didn't i never really thought too much uh with this movie like what is the owl lady you know they kind of hint at who people think she is like the conspiracy about who she is but Mm. other than that like i don't really know what i think the owl lady represents no i'm much more interested in hearing are there conspiracy theories that you believe in or i guess are there if if not then are there conspiracy theories that you just find entertaining oh i i find all of them entertaining (laughs) i mean i i think no i think more than the actual theory more than whatever the conspiracy is, I find the people who believe in them to be the most fascinating. Mm. There's something, kind of like how you're saying, like there's something 
comforting in that. Like there, there is nothing that I think I believe in that strongly, mm-hmm. for better or worse. I think for better, <laughs> but <laughs> there's nothing I believe in that strongly that I'm so passionate about that I feel the need to convince everyone else like this thing is real, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or I want to dedicate like my life's work to it or whatever. Like I just don't have anything like that. I mean, I did grow up in a very, you know, if we're if we're you have talked about this, yeah, if we're counting. Like, religion and even seriously believing in, like, the powers of witchcraft as conspiracies, then mm-hmm. I <clears throat> I know all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still wild to me. Like, I think my brain struggles to wrap my head around that. Around what? Around, about, like, the fact that you grew up that way. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the juxtaposition is even crazier that we grew up first being like my mom being hardcore into witchcraft to like a scary degree, and I never believed any of it. And it was always, even as a kid, it was always really interesting observing other people. On top of it being scary sometimes because I'm actually in it. Yeah. Um, it was still interesting, it was confusing to see grown-ass adults and how they carry themselves through life based on these beliefs and, mm-hmm. like, the conviction they had that they were mm-hmm. right about something and that they were somehow better than other people for knowing this supposed truth. Yeah. It was always fascinating. I never really understood it. And I think because of how my mom is not not overly well adjusted Mm -hmm. i just kind of always lumped everyone into that category Mm -hmm. you know now Mm -hmm. i don't you know i know i know there are nutbags everywhere and some people who you know are into witchcraft or religion or whatever do not think that way and are not like her but you know it definitely kind of paints the image for me or did for a very long time. It is so interesting that there are so many similarities because my dad was also super heavily into Buddhism and then he pivoted towards, I don't think he would ever describe it as witchcraft, but it was like crystals and herbs and water has a life and things like that. Yeah. And then he went hardcore into conspiracy theories. And there was that same sense of almost arrogance. I know better. I've discovered the secrets of the world. Me and this elite group of people who are more intelligent, more observant. And the rest of you, like lemmings, live your lives so unaware of these truths that we've uncovered. And I always, I think for me, I would describe it as traumatizing. Yeah. Um, Because he would just pick fights with people about this. And so I remember when crystals and, you know, witchy things started making a resurgence in mainstream culture. And it was really triggering for me because 
all those things I associated with my dad. And it took me a long time to associate it with kind of a healthy, more emotional healing sort of perspective Mm -hmm. and not a super unhealthy, manipulative thing. Which is definitely where I'm at with it too now. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was definitely traumatic. I mean, I witnessed like animal sacrifice. Which oh my is god! Very traumatizing for someone Girl. who <laughs> loves animals so much. <laughs> um, like probably one of the most traumatizing things. But I cannot even imagine. I, I vividly remember it too, and it's awful. Like my brother too, obsessed with animals. We cannot <sighs> believe that. <laughs> that happened in in our apartment <laughs> oh it's just wild um and so I also you know I mean I think there's a whole chunk of my life that didn't even have the space to process things because you know you're just you're not you're not living in safety yeah. you don't have the capacity to you're always in fear. There's no space to process yeah. your life. But then mm-hmm. after, like, once I, I was out of that and I got to really think about things, um, I did get to a place where, like, I can accept someone saying, like, oh, God bless you, and not not think less of them and not think, mm-hmm. like, oh, this fucking person. Like, you don't understand yeah. the weight that that carries for other people. Mm-hmm. And I can just see that now as like, oh, that person just is just wishing the best for me. And I can accept that as a nice, kind thing for them to go out of way and say to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even witchcraft, you know, the way that I think a lot of people are using it now is not ugly. It's, yeah, yeah, it, it's like uplifting. And like, you know, I know we've talked about this, like both having an interest in, again, like I don't, I can't say I believe one way or another that anything like I'm not trying to like manifest shit (laughs) what that means (laughs) but I'm interested in it because things are interesting I think it's interesting that people are very passionate about this and I also yeah I was able to get to a point like you where I could draw a line between wow that was really traumatic the way that that shit went down and like Mm -hmm. there are people doing things in a healthy way that makes them happy and that's totally fine do you ever wish that you could kind of because I mean I don't know if this is because of things that happened in my childhood but I feel like I really can't believe in these things even when I want to and sometimes that makes me feel a little lonely almost I read about this this offshoot of paganism like you know something like insert word paganism that people follow (laughs) that um is completely absent of um of gods of hierarchy of all of that maybe it was like last year or something I read about this and I was very interested in it because one of the things that attracts me to for sake for the sake of this conversation we could just say like modern witchcraft or whatever Mm -hmm. um one of the things that attracts me to that is tradition and rituals and that's what this offset of paganism what these people do they will worship gods but they like to have these traditions so they'll do 
like the solstice, you know, or they'll do Samhain or something, because that still keeps the community and connective aspect of what a religion brings to people in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Without the, oh, there's these creators and there are these people that we need to hold up on this pedestal, which I think can sometimes be the ugly side of a religion. To kind of get back to what you were saying, like maybe it being sad that you can't believe in those things. I think if we try to distill what it is that attracts to people to those things, I think the biggest thing, which even, you know, in this movie is a big thing, is connecting to other people. And if you distill that down, it's like, yeah, how do you connect? Do you connect through ritual? you connect through tradition? you connect through shared experiences and like-mindedness and, you know, common ground and values? And if you can all, if you can do that without there having to be a god or an alien or some, you know, other, you know, quote-unquote wacky thing, But I think that it's also these things are so easily accessible with these giant labels of like Christianity or whatever. You can just fit yourself right into it and have access to all that connection. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Like me and Vic, we started doing Samhain. Like we'll we'll kind of celebrate Samhain in a way that for us is just incorporating a tradition into our life that makes us feel good and connected and you know whether or not we believe in the veil being thinner or whatever you know like doesn't really matter to us we still like take the time to remember people who have died and I don't know there's something in that that I think like still feels really good Mm -hmm. without having I think it's just like reframing because I don't Mm -hmm. I think saying like, oh, you know, we don't believe in something like religion or conspiracy theory is like, I think part of that makes it seem like, not to say that you're wrong or anything, just I think like part of that makes it seem like that is what people are attracted to Mm. is the religion itself or the conspiracy theory when I really do think it's about the connection Mm -hmm. that they get and the validation they get from that. Am I taking this down a weird path where it doesn't belong? No, 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 no. I think that that's, yeah, I think that, is it cheesy if I I think that's really wise? (laughs) Cheesy to say. Because I do, I do think that that's definitely the case. I, so I used to be a little shit, okay? To the surprise of literally nobody. I'm still a little shit. But I remember being 12 or 13 and, you know, thinking that I knew everything. Talking to one of my friends and saying something along the lines of um, people who believe in religion are just too too weak to deal with the harshness of real life by themselves or some some bullshit. Oh, I've definitely said that too. (laughs) Some edgelord kind of a thing. And... I, I mean, I think that really is the heart of it. You know, you get together with friends and family, and there's this there's this reason that you have, and it doesn't have to be that you all believe in this specific thing, or that there needs to be this fanaticism, right? I do, I do, yeah, I like what you said a lot. Yeah, I think the fanaticism is an easy thing where everyone's agreeing, like, we're coming together. 
but that is not the thing that right. holds them. Yeah, I think, like, you go there for the support, because mm-hmm. people like people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know that I feel bad that I don't believe in any of those things, because I do care about connection as much as I dislike most people. <laughs> I do care a lot about uh, connection with other people, and I like having even if it's just in my little family with me and Vic having little traditions, things that we do each year. And, you know, if we include someone else in that and then they kind of become part of that tradition, like I think that's really all that matters to me because I don't think I'll ever be able to separate the trauma I've experienced from those other things. There, There is something about people like my mom or like your dad who... Like, there's something about those kinds of people that does scare me. Yeah. So I, I never want to get looped in with fanatics like that. My dad is a scary person. Like, I, I, oh, I yeah. think he's a scary person. <laughs> oh, yeah. My mom's also a very scary person. <laughs> I think it's, for my dad at least, what always scared me as a kid. And there's probably a lot more to it. But at a very surface level was the idea that for him, the objective reality and the rea- everyone else's reality hinged upon what he decided was true. Yeah. And that was always so... That felt so unsafe and so unsettling growing up because, I mean, my dad would just do whatever he wanted to do. He didn't need a justification because he could pull one out of his ass and that was that was gospel. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, like, my mom would always make it seem like uh like after she did anything could do a horrible thing and it's like oh but god's got my back you know and like mm-hmm. i'm gonna be okay now wait so are there conspiracies that you don't believe in any conspiracies god wait you were that saying that you believe in ghosts last time okay so yeah i actually thought about that <laughs> it's, it's really weird because intellectually i i feel a similar way to god and aliens where I feel like they might exist, they might not exist, right? Like, I can't say that they don't exist, but I don't necessarily believe they do. And that is my intellectual life. And my emotional life feels very differently. And I don't know why I'm... Like, I feel like if a ghost popped in in the daytime, I wouldn't be scared. But something about the dark and ghosts, I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe something occurred developmentally and I'm scarred and I don't remember it. But emotionally, there's this very primal fear of ghosts and the dark. And I don't know what it is. So I don't know if that counts. Where it's like, it's almost like, yeah, like I can't... It's almost like, even if I say I don't believe it, my behaviors are obviously different, right? So it's kind of almost an involuntary I belief. I think that's a little different. Like, for your sake, I'm going to say, no, I I do think it's a little different, because, I mean, the dark is a scary place, right? If you don't know what's going on in there. Like, I wouldn't say that children are crazy, you know? I think children make things up like that because uh, it helps guide them, in a way. And so, like, even as an adult, if that helps guide you, you're not some, like, 
you know, you're not going out ghost hunting, thinking that they're, <laughs> no. like, haunting you or something, you know, or, like, yeah. fucking you at night, which, you know, like, this is not, yeah. that's not you, it's, I think it's, you know, it's not even something I hear you, like, talk about much, like, it really bothers you to a serious degree, it's just, maybe just in the back of your mind, and kind of influences your life a little bit, because also you never know. Exactly. Yeah, because I don't really think about it. I don't really think about ghosts or if there are ghosts. I mean, I find haunted, like, stories of haunted places super interesting. Uh But at the same time, so, you know, usually, yeah, carbon monoxide or there can be, like, different frequencies from, like, water dripping. And, you know, all these sorts of very physical manifestations that people experience as being supernatural because they don't have another explanation. And it's so strange because I can so fervently believe that. And my emotional response that I can't even control is like, oh, I'm in panic attack mode. And I can't, I literally cannot stand in this dark room. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I wonder, I don't think I've ever talked to somebody else who has that same response, but I'm sure that there must be other people that are like that. And I don't know if that's, there's a name for that. Like maybe a phobia or something, you know, I wish I did have that response too. I wish I could share it. No, just so I could validate you. I don't need to have shared it to validate you, but I think it's, um, I mean, I, you know, I will, like I said, I think on the last pod, I will occasionally just check behind the shower curtain. Yeah, it's like that, yeah. I think that I'm never the person, I'm never going to be like your dad or like my mom, be like, this thing exists and this is true. But I will also never deny anything because I don't know any better. And if if there's wood around and I say something, I might knock it, not because I believe that it's going to do anything, but because I don't fucking know, I might as well, to just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I've heard that described as, like, a survival instinct, right? Where it's almost like, even if you don't know, you might as well... That's what it feels like. So what you're describing to me sounds like survival, just safety. I don't think... It doesn't uh, border into psychosis or something. (laughs) (laughs) That you know. (laughs) I I know. (laughs) We're both psychotic. (laughs) We (laughs) are. like an unhealthy thing it sounds like safety again that's why i bring up like a kid it's like safety to them right making up these things it helps them decide Mm -hmm. what they think is safe and what they think is not Mm -hmm. and whatever they decide it uh, is the equivalent of a monster that's unsafe and that's a good that's a good thing to decide is that a monster is unsafe you know yeah (laughs) if you (laughs) if you were given the opportunity to see a ghost would you choose it um, I, it would really depend on, like, can I read a biography of them before I choose to No. <laughs> but you won't get hurt. It'll just be, like, you experience, you know that there are people, and they talk about being super skeptical, and then they experience something, and then they believe in ghosts. And I always think about that when I think of myself as a skeptic about whether or not ghosts really exist. Because if there was something that happened to me that like made me believe, what would that be? And if you could experience that thing, would you want to? I'm also a skeptic when it comes to myself. So just because <laughs> I see something doesn't mean that I'm automatically kind of believe. <laughs> I don't trust this brain of mine completely. 
Um, yeah, I wouldn't know. I would probably be second guessing. I mean, I would definitely say yes, show it to me, show me this ghost. But then I don't know how I would process it afterwards. If I would just automatically start believing it or mm-hmm. um, be like, yep, you thought you were crazy and you are. <laughs> <laughs> and you have like a very colorful imagination. <laughs> Or, yeah, just, like, going back to my big fear of carbon monoxide poisoning. (laughs) If there is one benefit to my being the way that I am in this way, is that when I go to any haunted houses, like, I am the scariest thing in that house. (laughs) I've only been able to muster the courage to go into, like, two... Or I've only had the opportunity to go into, like, two or three haunted houses. And every single time, even though my friends are always like, no, you don't have to go, like, seriously, June, please do not. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go and conquer my fear. And so we're two steps in, and I'm freaking out. And, you know, there's, like, a spook or something. And I will scream, like, bloody murder, shrieking, start crying. (gasps) Oh, my God. <laughs> and you know I'm such an asshole for continuing on anyway, right? Because I choose to keep going even though I'm like this, and I know that I'm unpleasant to be around. I know that the workers, <laughs> the workers are trying to convince me to leave. They're like, "Hey, are you okay? Like the exit is right behind you. You can still see it." And I'm like, conv- I am, I am dead set on finishing this." Okay. So I go through, and I remember one time I was going around this corner, and there was, like, I'm assuming a guy who, like, you know, jumps out. And I remember I screamed and, like, jumped away, and it startled him because my reaction was so extreme. Oh, my God. That's not what I was expecting, was it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm also, like, very scared in them. Which mm-hmm. is why I go because because it's fun wrong with me. Yeah. No, I agree. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's like it goes back to that, like feeling of like, oh, I'm alive. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I never. It's cool to be able to experience a wide range of emotions and that extreme level of that kind of fear. I don't often get to experience day to day and be able to do that. There's something exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I have sometimes wondered if I could die of it. you're a liability (laughs) there was this i took this class this physics class and for one of the things we had to ride roller coasters and i have a i have a fear of heights like a really bad fear of heights and i rode every one of those roller coasters and it was so funny because we were we went to Six Flags, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly. And someone took a picture of my face and showed it to me later. And my face was white, like like a zombie white. And yeah, I would do it again. I don't want to never live in fear. Or not ever. I don't want to live never experiencing <laughs> fear. Well, and it's not just that, but it's like, uh, Safe like you're fear. kind of taking control over it. A little bit. Like, I'm choosing to be scared right now. Yeah, it's a safe fear. It's not a, mm-hmm. oh, I'm walking by myself at night and there is a strange man following yeah. me. That is not but a fear. But you could that. die on a roller coaster, which is a real fear. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Dude, oh my god. This was, like, really scary. But when I was a kid, I was... 
I shouldn't have actually been allowed on roller coasters as a kid. They measure your height, but yes. not your thickness as a person. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the bar never came down all the way. Like, I was below <laughs> where the threshold is for the bars. There are so many occasions where I would, like, almost slip out of roller coasters. And like you could feel yourself slipping Oh, my out. God, yeah. This is, like, a common <gasps> thing. And I also really a lot with my stepdad, who is a very, uh-huh. very heavy man. Mm-hmm. And they would sit me next to him. And so the bar went as far as his belly. So it never went even close to where I was. He would wrap his leg around my leg to pin me down. But there was one time where I fully... It was this completely black roller coaster. Like, it's pitch black. And my cousin was sitting behind me on the roller coaster. And my stepdad was next to me. And my cousin decided to tickle me while we're on the roller coaster. And I jumped up. Why? My oh. body started sliding right out of that seat. And I don't know how my stepdad knew that I was sliding out. Like, he must have felt me. That dude knew exactly where I was. Fucking grabbed my shirt and yanked me back down. <laughs> We love that. Like, I I kept doing roller coasters, even though it was like I was probably supposed to die on one at some point. That, my hands are sweating right now. I hope you're aware. Like, <laughs> picturing that in my head, my hands are sweating. I like that little you realized how close to death you were and kept choosing to do this thing. <laughs> You know, I didn't even think, like, oh, you can stop doing these. Maybe we like doing these. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened to us. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a normal child would have been like, oh, I almost fell out that one time. <laughs> so yeah. we need to do our checks before we start playing on roller coasters again. <laughs> Was your stepdad not scared that you had just been, you know, sliding away? No, because he knew it was a thing because he would purposely wrap his leg around mine to pin me down so I couldn't budge too much. So he, he knew to watch you, but he didn't think, hey, maybe Riley shouldn't go on these. I don't really know <laughs> what, what they were doing. <laughs> what those parents in my head going on there. Are you technically a millennial? I'm technically a Gen Z. You're technically Gen Z. Gross. <laughs> I know. I know. It's disgusting. <laughs> Ew. How am I talking to you right now? <laughs> okay, so excluding your generation, <laughs> I kind of hope that millennials have experienced so much trauma that we're going to do better. Like that the millennials now that are having kids are like doing better. I hope. <laughs> I ain't never having kids. I don't like to say never. I may adopt a kid one day. Who knows? I love kids. I'm not going to bring one into this hellscape of a life. But I would adopt a kid. I don't love kids. But, like, I'm adopting <laughs> I think, like, I'm, like, pretty sure I would love the shit out of any kid I decide oh, to have. I bet you would. I bet you would. But it's friends. I don't know that I'll deal it's with friends. friends. <laughs> His it's friends. It. <laughs> They're friends. I don't know. <laughs> You're going to be invited to the PTA. 
That's good parent trap. Yeah. <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> Unacceptable. What would I do in a PTA? Cause chaos, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when I was looking up stuff online, me and Vic went down a full-blown rabbit hole. They have an entire subreddit for this movie. I don't even know if you picked up on this because it was your first time watching it, so you probably didn't. But there are codes throughout the entire movie. Like what? Right from the beginning, when mm-hmm. like the very first scene when he's in that cafe, the menu at the cafe has Morse code at the bottom. There's codes all throughout the movie. Wait, that's so cool. I guess did it say what? sorts of meanings were behind the codes like what like what the morse code said or like okay, what there was like codes in like many different ways like maybe he was walking past like the bridge or something and there was codes written in graffiti on the wall but like you wouldn't really notice because you're paying attention to the actor who by the way did you love his acting i love his acting was so good he was so good yeah, he was really good. That bath scene where he's just going nuts and talking to yep. that girl about and he's like his face at some point where he like realizes he's like, Oh, you think this is weird. You think this is weird. I noticed that stood out to me too, just the tiny changes in his facial expression. So like you're watching him and he's kinda of like captivating in this movie. He really and is. You miss all the other shit. There there's mm-hmm. In the beginning, when he meets Sarah, and he's in her room, she has the Golden Girl dolls, and she's got little name cards under them. And then there's a whole code under each of their names. I love that. Wait, I'm going to have to spend all night reading about this now. I've always wanted to play one, like, a alternate reality game. I've, I've actually not heard that. When I saw ARG on the dock, I was like, I don't know what that is. And then when you said alternate reality game, I just looked it up. And now I need to play one. That's on my bucket list. I have to play one at some point. I don't even know how you do because people need to set them up, you know. I would waste like an entire year or two of my life to play one of these. Gladly. <laughs> like, <I'm> fully <laughs> invested. <enthusiasm>. <laughs> It's funny how we do this and we come up with meanings for things that we watch in the movie or even just about our own life. <laughs> so I think we're fucking done. We're doing Pan's Labyrinth next week. Pan's Labyrinth next week. Yeah. Are we doing Pan's Labyrinth? Okay. Okay. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Maybe, maybe watch Pan's Labyrinth for next week. Cry with us. Or laugh. I don't know. Cry with us or laugh. <laughs> <laughs> or... Whatever you do to deal with your emotions. <laughs> Go bake a cake. <laughs> Sit there in silence and stare at the wall if you dissociate. <laughs> Masturbate. I don't know. Whatever you do. <laughs> so, come back next week. Maybe. See you, you like next it. week. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.